This summer, your local movie theater will become a tent revival for proclaiming Jesus. And you're invited to be a part of this unique evangelistic campaign. Join with believers nationwide for the Million Souls campaign to bring unsaved family and friends to watch the powerful new movie, The Firing Squad, starring Kevin Sorbo and Cuba Gooding Jr. The Firing Squad tells the incredible true story about prisoners who find faith in the face of execution and transform their prison in the process. As the movie ends, co-star Kevin Sorbo comes on the screen to lead the entire theater in a prayer to commit one's life to Jesus Christ, providing an on-site opportunity to introduce family and friends to the message of Jesus. Go to FiringSquadFilm.com and learn how you can receive free tickets and more to the Firing Squad and participate in this unique theater event. Bring your friends and your family and bring your faith. That's FiringSquadFilm.com to learn more. Bleep. Good old bleep. Good old bleep. You know? What's bleep doing today? <laughs> I love this attitude. <laughs> love this attitude. It makes me happy. Yeah. We, we've discovered a new attitude. Uh, uh, Changing the way not only the show is going to be, hopefully, to the end yeah, of time, but also yeah. the way I'm going to live my life to the end of time. It is a, a, a good mantra for your life. Mm-hmm. Huh. I'm anxious to see how that works out. That's it. <laughs> Every bad situation that right. you think you get all nervous about, right. oh gosh, the, or the world is going to be destroyed, yeah. instead say, huh, anxious to see how this works out. Your son's arrested for drunk driving. Huh. huh. I'm anxious to see how that works yeah. out. <laughs> it solves literally all your problems. Right, it does. Wow. Hey, we have massive inflation coming. Huh. huh. I'm interested <laughs> to see how that works out. <laughs> really, there's something really oh. comforting about that. You don't want to miss a second of today's uh, podcast, <laughs> brought to you in part by the fine folks at American Giant. In the 1960s, 95% of clothing Americans was made right here. I should sound like an old film reel. Now, 97% is made overseas. Uh, that sounds a little too much like RFK Jr. Mm-hmm. Uh, complete reversal of the way things used to be in this country. Now we don't make anything. It is the mission and the goal of American Giant to invite manufacturing back to America. They started doing it themselves. It, in 2012, a clothing factory shut down in North Carolina. The guy who, who runs American Giant was like, we can't let this happen. And so he went in, he bought new equipment, he retrained the staff, and it changed the community. That's the thing. When you give people... Uh, the opportunity to do something great, to do something that they're proud of every day, the whole community changes. And that's the mission. Change the community, change the country, change the world. All with American labor and American products. It is American Giant. If you're looking for great clothing, American-Giant.com slash Glenn. That's American-Giant.com slash Glenn. Listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. Wow, Stu, did you did you catch the New York Times the Daily today? I did not. No, okay. I haven't listened to it in months. Mm-hmm. But I thought choice. I thought you know today maybe I'll see what they have to say. And I learned so much about the banking crisis. Did you? 
Yeah, yeah. So listen in and learn. So, Gina, another day, another bank failure. Starting to be the pattern these days. Very much. And after these two banks had failed, Silicon Valley Bank, then a couple days later, Signature Bank, the hope, and I'd say the expectation, was that this crisis might be over. It was not over. In fact, the third bank, First Republic Bank, collapsed. And it was even bigger as a bank than the previous two that failed. So tell us about why First Republic Bank ultimately went under. I think that what happened at First Republic was sort of a slow-motion reaction to what happened at Silicon Valley Bank, that first Mm -hmm. bank that failed. Mm -hmm. The other thing is a lot of the sort of assets on First Republic's balance sheet, a lot of its loans, a lot of its, you know, sort of business, Mm -hmm. isn't actually all that bad-looking. It just Mm -hmm. didn't Mm -hmm. hold up well in the face of rising interest rates. Mm -hmm. And J.P. Morgan has also, in this case, got some guarantees from the government. The government is going to share in losses on the portions Mm. of the business that aren't looking so hot. Wait. Now, does that mean that the government, and by that I mean you and me, the taxpayer, Uh are now subsidizing J.P. Morgan Chase's purchase of First Republic? So far, the government has been careful to say that no taxpayer money is being used to bail out any of these (sighs) failing banks. Uh So is Uh that true in this case as well? well? It is. But Mm. it's a little bit complicated. (laughs) This deal is going to cost the government about $13 billion, Mm -hmm. which is going to be covered by the insurance fund that's paid by every federally regulated bank. So it's not taxpayer money per se. But the banks will tell you, and some people outside of the banks will tell you, that while this is paid for by assessments on banks, at the end of the day, that comes back to hit the bank customers because the banks are going to raise the money by charging more fees on mortgages, on bank accounts, on things like that. Okay. And so it's possible that you'll still end up subsidizing this, whether it's directly or not. It's possible. And even if you don't want to. So if you have any relationship with a federally regulated bank, which almost all of us do, you're in one form or another eventually helping to pay for this deal. Mm. Yeah, exactly. So if you're J.P. Morgan Chase, this is a pretty good deal, obviously, but... There's something a little bit funny about it, which is that J.P. Morgan Chase is already the nation's largest bank. And uh-huh. after the financial crisis in 2008, the whole idea was that big banks shouldn't get any bigger, shouldn't be buying up their rivals because they might become too big to fail. <laughs> what? So this deal seemed kind of at odds with that. So it is a little weird. I think the message we all took from 2008 uh-huh. was that really big banks can be dangerous. And certainly that was baked into the legislation that we saw passing after Mm -hmm. 2008. We saw a restriction that said the largest banks in America can no longer acquire Mm -hmm. really big banks because we don't want too much of the nation's deposit base concentrated at any one bank. We don't want that. However, However. there was an exception to that rule. (laughs) And the exception is that if a bank is failing, a large bank can acquire it. Mm -hmm. And that's really what we saw come into play here. J.P. Morgan was also <laughs> able to offer the least cost option to acquire First Republic. Sorry, got, go- gotta stop. Gotta stop. Okay, wait a minute. Wait a minute. So we learned that big banks were bad, and big banks can't grow any bigger. But how do they grow bigger, Stu? How they would grow a- bigger by buying other other banks? banks. Okay. 
So they can't do that. No. But if that bank fails, right. they can do that. Of course. Right. Mm-hmm. That makes total sense, yeah. doesn't it? So they can they can become much bigger much more cheaply. Yeah. That's the Amen. that was the goal of the legislation. Yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I mean, you know, not that the Federal Reserve is playing favorites at all. JP Morgan <laughs> Chase. That's incredible too. And it's like they had to buy the bank, they they were able to designate what parts of it they didn't want. So, so this right? is the partnership with the government. The government's going to share the burden. No, you gave all of the good assets right. to J.P. Morgan Chase. <laughs> we took all the bad assets. Right. I mean, who does this deal? It's incredible. It's like if you like a one building in an apartment complex burns to the ground and then you say, well, I'm going to come in, but I'm not going to take over any of the responsibility for the one that burned down. I'm just going to take all of the nice buildings that are still operating with all uh, renters in there paying their rent completely fine. I'll take all of those over for 80 percent off the cost. <laughs> right. oh, oh, great. Yeah. You'll do wow. that? That's wow. Thank you so now, much. Now, listen, if any of my renters start not paying the rent, you're going to have You're going to have to take those. You'll take it off. But you could do it on insurance. You just you just get money from all the other apartment complexes which are going to charge all of the other people in those apartments more money to rent their house. So, in case some of my renters go down, you can pay me. Mhm. Wow. What a good deal for the United States of America. Yeah, we, we win again. Yeah. yeah. And I, by, by the way, an insurance fund, How when does this dry up? How many banks does this uh, need to happen to well, before we have nothing left in this account? Okay, so there, from what I understand, there was nothing left in the account after we bailed out Silicon Valley Bank. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. But, but that it gets complicated here, Stu. It gets complicated. The government will just print more money. Oh, well, but wait a minute. That that doesn't seem complicated. Yeah. No. Well, you got to get the ink and the paper, but they're digitizing and that's where it gets complex. Do we digitize it or do we print it? They don't know. They don't know. They'll have meetings and stuff. So it gets complicated and probably a little bit too much for you to understand. Yeah, above my pay yeah, grade above there. your pay grade just a little bit. They say, so, by the way, 128 billion dollars are in this uh, this fund. Uh huh. To uh-huh. now, uh-huh. I know they just said this bank had 120 billion dollars that were people pulled out that caused this crisis right. in the first place. Right. One bank. One bank. Yeah. Uh-huh. They lost 120 billion dollars. Yeah. There's 128 billion dollars in the entire fund. Yeah. So and we just spent. Apparently, $13 billion. Yeah, but you're not going to be, the taxpayer is not going to bear that burden. No. What happens bank. when that runs out? Well, you're not going to bear that mm. burden. They no. will get that money from the banks. Okay. <laughs> and the banks will get that money just from people, you know, re- really rich people, people who have bank accounts. Mm-hmm. Okay. You got a bank account. Sure. You're a fat cat who's going to even, you, you probably have so much. I'm speaking directly to those few people in this audience that have bank accounts mm-hmm. yeah there's only a few you've got a bank account you're not even gonna notice that's missing mm. you know what really? i mean yeah yeah okay yeah so it's not you the average taxpayer it's just people that have bank accounts oh, okay um yeah i have another question uh, uh yeah just sure. a sidebar yeah, yeah, here. yeah so they also to get through this crisis yeah uh-huh. the last couple months yeah when we were told they were going to make it 
because we had all these incredible actions. No, it's all past, except yeah. for the stuff that they know about that might be coming. They also borrowed about $50 billion from the Fed. What happens with that? Like, does J.P. Morgan Chase have to pay that back? How, well, how, they, got the, they got that back. What? Hmm? They got what? That, that money just is well, like... Why, they, they, why is your voice getting so high when you're... I'm just saying that they just don't have any... You know, they, they, that money is like... it's. There's nobody to pay it. There's... I mean... Right. So there's no, there's no money there. So it's just like it just disappeared. Mm. Wait, what? What do you mean it just disappeared? It's on a balance sheet someplace. Right. But we don't know Wh- where. And who pay? Probably the same damn people that own those bank accounts. Oh, okay, good. You know, we're going to they- squeeze them to get that money back. Because they keep telling me if we have, if you have less than $250,000 in your bank account, your money is safe. That money is guaranteed by the federal government. Okay, well, I don't believe them. What do you mean? I, I don't. What do you mean? You go to, you have 250,000. Are you pulling your money out of the bank? I mean, I'm, I'm very, I don't know what to do, honestly. No, you, at this don't. Point. you leave your money in the bank. You make sure that you don't have more than $250,000. The government will just make more. What? That is basically what we're all supposed to believe, right? No, like, and they will. They will just print more. What are you, what are you, to cover all losses from all bank accounts? Yes. They'll just keep printing. Well, what is that? Does that have modern any... Modern monetary ram- theory. <laughs> it's modern, I'm being so, dead serious. This I is know. modern monetary theory. I'm a, I'm a tad concerned as what the fallout Why? might be to that. Why? Well, what because could possibly it, happen? I, I mean, inflation, no, uh, economic no, collapse. Is no, uh, inflation is transitory, and the Fed <laughs> is working on that. They have a plan. In oh. fact... When the call came in from Vladimir Zelensky, mm-hmm. who wasn't Vladimir Zelensky, let me tell you something. If <laughs> your organization can't figure out if that's actually the leader of Ukraine on the phone, you shouldn't have a credit card, let alone be in charge of the Fed. I'm just saying. But once again, a central banker is fooled by this group of people that are posing as Vladimir Zelensky and then recording it. And it's not on the phone. Apparently, it's it's a video conference <laughs> how, call. How, is they, how are they falling for a video a conference Skype call? Yeah. yeah, don't know. Don't okay. know. But uh, maybe, you know, just the computer rings. And you just, oh, hang on. I've got a FaceTime call coming in. It's Vladimir Zelensky. <laughs> we didn't hear from your people or anything. How'd you get my number? Well, let me tell you all my deepest, darkest secrets that I'm not going to tell everybody else, but I'll tell you, Vladimir, because you're trustworthy. Here's what, uh, oh here's what Powell said. Now, this is not what he's telling the American people. Listen to this. Um, and uh, But what we're going to find is that growth in 2022 was was positive but modest it was subdued so you know one percent around that that level um in terms of this year most forecasts call for the u.s economy to continue to grow but at a pretty subdued level mm-hmm. so growth of less than one percent less than one percent we, so, we so would stop for you, a second is anyone does anyone on the planet think that growth of l- less than one percent <laughs> Is really growth? 
I mean, I think that's no. probably in the margin of error. Yeah, and I honestly, you uh, considering what other eco- economists are saying, a growth of under one percent would be positive. Yes, con- yes, cons- it would compared yes, to what they're actually predicting, which is yeah. recession. Right. So he's 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 maybe in the spin zone mm-hmm. where he's like, you know, but Vlad, listen, we can keep sending you those bullets because our growth. Our growth, growth is like crazy, <laughs> crazy right now. Crazy high crazy. zero point something <laughs> numbers. Something per num- yeah. It's great. We are on track for another record year, and I mean that. Here he is. But we ha- we would tell you that, that a recession is almost as likely as 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 very slow growth. Huh. Um, Wait. That's not so what you tell that's, us. That, yeah. That's a fact, and, and I think that's that is fact. partly because of uh, of us having raised rates quite a bit. Why are we having a recession according to the Fed chair? Because the Fed is raising rates. Ha. Huh. Now, wait a minute. I got to get my arms around this. This is a whole new concept that raising rates puts people out of work, makes it harder for them to put food on the table. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. Welcome to the uh, Glenn Beck program. The owner of a Bloomington, Indiana dive bar, uh, who voiced support for Bud Light and threatened to remove customers for speaking out against Bud Light, uh, is now on Facebook saying, we appreciate your support because I kicked all these hateful bigots out. And if you want to stop by and have a beer, p- please do. Because uh, he's, um, he's kind of following in the footsteps of Bud Light. And, uh, yeah, he's lost his uh, patrons um, Mm. because he said they spewed bigotry and hatred regarding Bud Light's advertising partnership with Dylan Mulvaney. Um, And, uh, you know, so the the bar is still celebrating the 365 days of girlhood of Dylan Mulvaney. And I thought that already passed. Well, I I, I don't know, Stu. Um, Does it ever pass? Does it ever pass? I don't know. I don't yeah. know what the rules are. It's right. very difficult to keep track of. Them. So, uh, so he's having a hard time. And coincidentally, uh, in complete coincidence, so is Anheuser Busch. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No. No kidding. Yeah. Now, I I saw this story uh, today from the Washington Examiner. Anheuser Busch employs ex GOP aides for damage control, uh, and uh, they they've hired um, uh, Sean McLean. Um, and uh, that's what, you know, a legislative director for Senator Ted Cruz uh, and then uh, another person uh, that was also with um, Kelly Iote uh, from uh, New Hampshire. She's a, also a Republican. And they're 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 working now for Bud Light trying to, you know, get things back. Bud Light, may I just say. I didn't really have to even go go into this story at all. When I saw that you hired two ex-GOP aides for damage control, I thought, <laughs> boy, you still don't get it. Uh, well, well, it's, I, a, it's about beer, not about politics. Okay? I, I don't, I, I, 
I don't pull the horse out. Okay, just do the horse thing. Okay, it's too late now. You've destroyed the Clydesdale horses. <laughs> but pull them out, you know. But they can't give up, right? They're not going to just like, oh, let's fold the company. We, we did yeah, but, this. So you go to uh, Ted Cruz aide, right? Someone who probably understands conservatives. How do for we, what? For what? How do we for what? How do we apologize for this appropriately, <laughs> essentially? Because I, what is Ted going to say? Well, I don't know what Ted's going to say, but neither do they. And I don't know. What would you say? Look, forget the, I, it's too late. Throw that piece of advice out. What is your advice to, to Bud uh, Light? Lay low. Just lay don't low. say anything. Don't say a damn word. Apologize and mean it, and just lay low. Mm. Because and I, then just and then just and then hope that people forget. They're not going to Bud Light. They're not going to. You've destroyed your brand. Destroyed it. That one thing that destroyed a hundred years. That of, one thing. I mean, and that might be the answer. Of course, they can't accept that answer. They have to try to repair it. Yeah, as the. Gods of the copybook headings with terror and slaughter return is the Rudyard Kipling last line of the poem, Gods of the Copybook Headings, which is truth uh, returning to a uh, a people that have completely disregarded the truth, uh, made truth uh, things like, uh, you know, uh, horses uh, and ponies have wings and mm-hmm. uh and wishes are pigs. Those kinds of things. No, they're really not. Uh, ponies don't have wings. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when that, when your society has gone so far off the track, it takes uh, a toll when you finally return back to the truth. And America is returning back to the truth, whether you whether you like it or they like it or not. It's returning back to the truth. Did you hear what Coca Cola did? This is this is amazing. So uh, shareholders have requested that Coca-Cola's board of directors issue a public report prior to the December 31st, 2023, admitting confidential information and uh, at a reasonable expense detailing any known and potential risk or cost to the company caused by enacted or proposed state policies severely restricting reproductive rights and detailing any strategies beyond uh, litigation and legal compliance that the company may deploy to minimize or mitigate these risks. Here's what it is. A nonprofit that proposes ESG policies to companies, um, which is called As You Saw. Oh, that's clever or just stupid. 87% of the controlling shares voted against their proposal. What their proposal was, we're not going to ship Cokes to uh, states that don't uh, allow abortion. Boom. And the shareholders were like, what? I said, we're not going to ship Coca-Cola to states. Boom. Nope. Nope, 83% are against that. Mm. 83%. And so now they're like, we'd like to see how you're coming up with these great uh, proposals, please. Kind of seems a little crazy. Uh, I think this is an interesting thing to think about this as we look at a long-term response to wokeness. How do you systemize this and what what are you trying to do? Who is the right target? And what's what are you trying to accomplish when you look at, at these companies, right? 
So we did a show uh, last night on Studios America, by the way, if you're looking for a show at 8 p.m. Eastern, just because maybe one of your favorite shows just got canceled. It's available. 8 p.m. YouTube, How Blaze do you get TV, it, Blaze Pluto TV. TV. Yeah, it's, wow. it's there every night for you. Um, but we went through the five levels of corporate wokeness. Okay. And so you have, number one, company that is woke and proud of it. Right. Think Ben and Jerry's. Right. They any liberal policy that comes out they're in full endorsement. They're Bernie Sanders. They don't like Jews very much. There's a lot of things that they do. And, and they've smoked enough dope to where they don't care. They don't care. They don't care. So you can boycott Ben and Jerry's all you want. They're not going to change. But they're own. not going to change a policy because to them, mm-hmm. wokeness is more important than selling you ice cream. Mm-hmm. Like straight out. Next level down. Neutral to the public, but woke in the boardroom. Right, these companies that act like they're just normal companies, but their activity in the in the background is always Verizon. Ver, yeah, right. We talk about the, these phone companies, right, where yeah. they, they are they're donating all their money to Planned Parenthood and all this stuff, but they act like the normal company that's just trying to serve you and sell you cell phone service. Can you hear me now? Right there, you go. Can you hear me now? Because I've got I've got I've got the screaming of all of these babies that are dying right now in my other ear. So speak up a little bit louder. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now that's not Bud Light. That's not Budweiser, right? No. They're they're not neutral to the public and woke in the boardroom. They're doing the opposite. They were they did a a bizarre sort of outreach to Dylan Mulvaney publicly, and then are trying in the boardroom seemingly to reverse that. So that's the next category: neutral in the boardroom, woke to the public. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the type of person that is affected by the ESG score, right? They're not necessarily a woke company. But like they see these pressures coming in, they're trying. They think maybe it's the right stance to sell product to be woke. They don't care about transgender issues. They're taking positions to try to act like to get new demographics in. I think there's another category. I've got two more. Oh, okay. okay so ahead. tell me if these are All covering right, okay, yours. Yeah. The next one is neutral. This is what everything used to be. Back in the day, everyone was just like, you know what? We just want to sell products. If you want to buy them, buy them. If you don't want to Name buy them. Name that product. Now? I don't know if there's any. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe there's some, but almost everybody seems to have some political bend. And then the last one is like, you, you mentioned Verizon earlier, uh, the, uh, the, the category five, not woke and proud of it. That would be Patriot Mobile, right? Where Patriot Mobile is just like, yeah, we're at, we're not woke at all. We want to we want we we're pro life. We're a pro life Christian company, so, and we stand on that. I think there's the other category of pretty hostile to the woke thing, but have to do it because of what it would mean for the stock price. All they bought yeah. into all the lies, and I right. think that's where Bud probably is. I yeah, I th- I think of that as they're uh, not neutral. Maybe you don't you think they're hostile to wokeness. Hostile I think, to I think they're. I think, I think a good majority probably are hostile to it, but they're when sitting down and the, they're just doing it to get through. I think of that as is that neutral in the boardroom. But you're right. You could neutral to anti woke in the boardroom, right? Like you're not. They're yeah, not okay. embracing it. And I think that's where Bud Light is. And so number one, I think that's probably the best target for a an outreach campaign from conservatives who are frustrated by this. People who actually are doing this because they think it's the right thing to do to sell more beer, right? But you're not, here's the thing, you're not, in today's world, Mm -hmm. there is no forgiveness. That's the problem. There is no forgiveness. Well, but you just said, Mm -hmm. when they did this Dylan Mulvaney thing, Mm -hmm. that it's over. 
Yeah. That does not show forgiveness, right? No, I know. Because Is there something they could do to make this right? No, and you said basically no, no. Because nobody believes anybody anymore. Right. You have no trust. <laughs> right. Okay? No, that's true. It's not like the Clydesdale can go out and say, but they feed me oats. And the same kind of yummy oats and hops that are in this Bud Light. And, you know, there's no, what can they possibly do that you will believe? Nothing. When you betray the truth that hard, this is why this is why sane Democrats are jumping off the Democratic wagon right now, because that correction is coming. Mm. It's coming. But like, isn't there something in this situation? Logically, shouldn't we be asking for something like what happened with Bud Light is they came out and they made a statement, which was not incredibly strong but not incredibly weak either they were basically saying like we want out of this we didn't mean to get in the middle of this and then the people responsible were suspended now maybe you might say that's not enough but like no it's not there a, has to be something we're asking for if if this but what is, are we what what's why the point? why are we asking for it i don't want to be like them right. i don't want to say we'll let you go ahead and sell your beer as long as you do x y and z <laughs> make beer Right, that's what Leave I want. Leave us alone. I just want you to be neutral. Right. Coinbase is neutral. They say, look, we're taking no stance on anything unless it has to do with crypto. Correct. That's that's the right and approach. That's the right approach. Mm-hmm. Once you've crossed the Rubicon, I don't think you get your credibility back. But this is a massive organization, right? They hired someone. And look, I, I'm not defending Bud Light because I don't like what they did here. And I don't like the fact that they hired someone initially, right, to whose stated goal was to remake this brand because it became too fratty, right? Like, that that's a terrible idea. They shouldn't have done that in the first place. But, like, at some point, if they do something, if someone does something that's wrong and you think it's wrong, usually what we would say is, hey, okay, make it right. But this isn't a person. No, it's a company. Yeah, it's a brand. You should care less about it then. Right? Shouldn't you care less about whether yes. who ca- you never so believed in Bud Light's cr- credibility as a bunch of human beings? They're just a b- nice watery beer that's really available. I, I don't know. I don't know how. <laughs> it's a new I, slogan for I don't you. know how I can ex- uh, express this in a different way. We we are Americans feel betrayed, right? And when you've betrayed, I'm sorry. You can be nice, and over time. Just make beer. Yeah. Over, and over yeah. time, maybe, maybe. I'm not against you, Bud Light. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm not going to support you because I'm an alcoholic. But <laughs> beyond that, I wouldn't be drinking Bud Light right now because you. I feel betrayed by you. But over time. But over time. If you show your record is strong over time. Correct. And you don't do this again. And you might want to look to do things that are standing behind. You know what, bud? Here's what you can do. And I don't know if I would even accept it, but something like this. Put our American museum that is teaching the truth about America you become the national sponsor of it <laughs> and pay for it to go on the road for the next year. Now, they would say, of course, then we're taking a stance on the right. We're not being neutral. We're not just making beer. Since when is American history well, it's right associated or left? with you? 
You are uh, obviously a right. I, I, I'm on would the show. Associate with girl power, but not somebody who believes Look, in the Constitution. I am there. You go. Literally Bye-bye. on this show and have been for 25 years, and I don't want to associate with you. I understand their stance here. No, but I, no, I know. Right, I, I, that I, I know. Make sense, but, right? And I'm not saying that that would be a quick fix. No, it wouldn't. It you know there would be a lot of people that would go. I'm going to go, but Bud Light. What were you doing? Yeah. What were you doing? Over time, maybe they can rebuild it. But otherwise, uh, I mean, I have no suggestion. They're Bed Bath & Beyond. That's what they are. Wow. A brand that you thought would be around forever forever, because wow. you need bed stuff and you need bath stuff. And you, sometimes you go beyond. <laughs> That's it. Bye-bye. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck Program. There's a book out called uh, When Race Trumps Merit. It's written by Heather McDonald, and uh, she's with the Manhattan Institute. She's a fellow there, and she's on with us now. Hi, Heather. Hi, Glenn. Thanks for having me on. Sure. So, so do we ever get back to merit in this country? We could uh, with relative ease, but it requires courage. (laughs) So all it takes is courage to stand up to the phony charge of racism and to say that standards are not racist. Uh, The racial disparities in our country are not due to racist standards. They're due to academic skills gaps. They're due to criminal offending disparities. But right now, the American civilization... Uh, should not be apologizing for itself. We are not today a racist country, but what we're doing is tearing down meritocratic standards across the board, whether it's in medicine, science, law, uh, the arts, policing, all because those standards are being accused of having a racist impact on underrepresented minorities. But how? Let me let me let me take you to Budweiser. Um, Budweiser, we were just having a conversation. How do they get their credibility back? Well, they can't. They they will over time, I suppose, if they just don't do more stupid things. Um, however, you know it, this has infected everything. We, the reason why Bud, um, you know, was rejected here is I don't want any of this crap. I just want the beer. Leave us alone just want the beer everything now is about politics how do we how do we get out of that yeah i mean everything's about politics but a lot of it is about race and we need people in medicine to stand up and say i'm an oncologist i have devoted my life to trying to cure cancer, I am not going to accept the charge that is coming out of the federal government, out of the National Institutes of Health, out of the National Cancer Institute, that that medicine is racist. I am not going to accept the charge that's coming out of our scientific journals that says that science is racist. If people started saying that and refusing to put their heads down and go along with the elites... And, and defend meritocratic standards that are colorblind, objective, and constitutional, the, the whole thing would collapse. I, I will tell you, it, especially when it comes to medicine, the, the fact that if you are uh, underprivileged or intersected in any way, shape, or form, 
you get into medical school much faster than somebody who just happens to be really, really smart and gifted, wants to be a doctor, uh, but they have no intersections on them, then the good ones are being kept out uh, are just for our our new balancing act that we're doing. We are going to really suffer a consequence because the best doctors are not going to be the best doctors because they weren't they weren't allowed in. Black and Hispanic seniors are being accepted to medical schools with scores on the medical school admission test and GPAs that would be automatically disqualifying if presented by whites and Asians. That's based on the phony charge that those medical school admissions tests are racist. They are not. There are schools that are waiving them entirely for black students. And when students are admitted with lower qualifications than their peers, they understandably and predictably uh, struggle. It's in a sense, it's not their fault. It's the fault of the admissions officers that are subjecting the so-called beneficiaries of racial preferences to an absolutely unfair handicap. But they struggle. And guess what? The next step is Ben: get rid of further standards. So we have now uh, dismantled the step one of the medical licensing exam, which comes after the second year of medical school to test students' basic knowledge of anatomy, physiology, drug interactions. Uh, Blacks weren't doing very well on that exam. So we have gone last year, we changed it from a graded system to a pass-fail system to cover up the fact that blacks are not learning as much. So they get passed along, and then the pressure is on on medical school hiring committees to hire on the basis of race, not merit, put people on hospital staff on the basis of race, not merit. The American Medical Association, the American Association of Medical Colleges is all behind this. You read their documents, and it's like reading something out of a black studies class. It is mind-boggling. I have doctors on a daily basis sending me pronouncements from their their associations of hematology or oncology or neurology, people trying to cure Alzheimer's disease that are saying everything from now on has to be about anti-racism. This is a lie, Glenn, and, and the scad thing is, is that people are still terrified. They're terrified of losing their jobs if they stand up to this narrative, but that is what it's going to have to take. Uh, this can't, no, nobody's going to do this for us. We have to take it back ourselves and start telling the truth that though this country had a deplorable, heartbreaking history of gratuitous cruelty towards blacks, that I think actually the conservative narrative about America does not sufficiently account for, we are not that country today. The reality is, frankly, black privilege, not white privilege. I don't know a single high school senior who's black who is putting down his race as white, thinking that that will improve his chances for admissions. But I know a lot of white males who are wondering if they can get away with putting down their race as black because they know perfectly well that that will give them an enormous, enormous admissions boost. These are not the ways of a white supremacist country. Hmm. 
Uh, Heather, these organizations keep coming up with the same point, which is, of course, we want the best doctors. We want the best people here. But we also want a diverse staff. We want want to make sure we're hitting those diversity goals as well. Can they do both? They cannot. Unfortunately, and Ben, Glenn, this is a difficult thing to talk about. It violates racial etiquette. People don't want to hear it. It makes them uncomfortable. But given the size of the academic skills gaps right now, and let me give you some data. Blacks are, if you look at 12th graders, black students, 66% of 12th grade black students do not possess even partial mastery of 12th grade math skills. That means doing arithmetic, reading a linear function on a graph. 66% are below basic. The number who are actually advanced in in math is too small to show up statistically on a nationwide basis. This means it is mathematically impossible to have proportional representation in our meritocratic STEM organizations. You can have diversity or you can have meritocracy. You cannot have both. Diversity, here's a, here's a, here's a, a translation key for your listeners, Glenn. Diversity is simply code word for racial preferences. When any institution is saying we're doing diversity, it means we have double standards. We're lowering our, our standards in order to create diversity because right now you cannot have both diversity and meritocracy, and we have to start standing up for meritocracy and say we'll solve those skills gaps, but the way to solve them is not to tear down our standards. So usually, uh, I mean, I would hate to be a Christian missionary um, in the good days, and uh, my zone is, uh, you know, the uh, the Wall Street area, because Nobody successful, nobody, you know, at the top of their their game is miserable enough to question, what am I doing wrong? Um, Right now, the American people are not deeply questioning. uh, But when medicine, for instance, starts to go down and you 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 have, you know, bad service, we become more like Venezuela or Cuba, then we'll ask. But. It will be too late then. How do we get people to understand today what's coming our way? Well, they've got to get the facts about what's going on. I mean, that is in my book. I I would say that you start with the people with power, the people that are seeing it. Again, it's I am I'm getting this avalanche of materials for people that do know what's going on from the doctors, from the scientists, who see that their entire life's work is being jeopardized and torn down by this diversity obsession. So can, can you give me any examples, any stats or anything where you're seeing the impact now? Well, with with medicine, yes. I mean, I've seen, for instance, people for heads of medical schools, which is important. The, they, the, the heads of a medical school are going to set priorities. They're going to set the tone. They're going to get federal funding. I have seen the candidates that are chosen, and I have seen people with enormous cancer research success, just the leaders in the field not get the job 
because they're white males. And the people that do get the job are, as you say, intersectional. Uh, as far as being able to point to somebody dying because he comes through the emergency room after a car crash and he gets a racial preference beneficiary, uh, I don't see that. I can see in the area of public safety, I don't see it yet, but it will happen. Uh, but I can tell you that this disparate impact thinking that I write about is taking lives uh, in public safety. The, it, you know, if, you're, if your listeners, Glenn, are scratching their heads and saying, what the heck is going on in law enforcement today? Why are all these prosecutors not prosecuting the law? You know, l- overlooking theft, turnstile jumping, shoplifting, trespass, assault, disorderly conduct, and just saying we're not going to do anything about it. The reason they're not doing anything is because dis- of disparate impact. Were they to enforce the law in a colorblind, neutral, constitutional fashion, it will have a disparate impact on black criminals, not because the law is racist, but because the crime rates are so much higher. When you back off of policing in the name of disparate impact, when you back off of prosecution in the name of fighting disparate impact, lives are lost. 2020 saw the largest one-year increase in homicide in this nation's history, 29%. Carjackings are spreading out of the inner city into the suburbs. People are having, you know, their jewelry torn from their necks, eating outdoors in restaurants. We see the, the, the flash mobs that have been going down the Magnificent Mile in Chicago for years because they fear no they fear no consequences for their action. So certainly in the field of public safety, we are seeing lives being taken. And overwhelmingly, they're black lives. They're black children who are being gunned down and drive-by shootings to not a peep of protest from the Black Lives Matter activists. Why? Because they're being shot by other blacks. They're not being shot by the police. They're not being shot by, the, by whites. They're being shot by blacks, and therefore those black victims are of no concern to Al Sharpton or Benjamin Crump, the ubiquitous civil rights attorney. Uh, so this is a philosophy that disparate impact is inherently racist that must be fought, and it will start happening uh, in STEM. It will slow down our scientific progress. China is, is going full speed ahead with its nanotechnology. It is grooming its students for the most challenging mathematical uh, tests possible. It doesn't give a damn about diversity. It just wants to throw everything it's got at its gifted and talented programs. Meanwhile, here in the U.S., we are dismantling gifted and talented programs. Mm-hmm. We're saying, you may be gifted in math, but you're not allowed to excel because it will, it will be racially disparate. We will not have 13% at this point uh, black students in our gifted and talented programs. Therefore, nobody should be in a gifted and talented program. We don't want you to do calculus in the ninth grade if you're capable of it because you will not be in a diverse class of students. This is, uh, this is a death knell to uh, freedom, to capitalism, uh, and uh, to everything that we have built if we don't turn this around. The name of the book is When Race Trumps Merit. The author you've been listening to is Heather McDonald. She's from the Manhattan Institute, where she is a fellow. Again, the name of the book is When Race Trumps Merit. Heather, thank you so much. Thanks for the conversation, Glenn. You bet. I appreciate Bye-bye. it. Da, da, da.